Okay, so we're on chapter 4 of Tanya. Just to uh, sum up, so in chapter 1, we were asking a whole bunch of questions about Tzadik Rasha Benini. We didn't get any clarity yet. We got a little clarity. We found out that a Benini doesn't do any Avedas. Um, not even Bittul Torah. But uh, as far as what's the difference between the Benini and the Tzadik, and the difference between the Benini and the Rasha, we're not really 100% uh, clear. And we said, but you know, the key to understanding this whole thing has to do with the Shtei the idea of two souls, which is from the uh, Lurianic Kabbalah from Kisvi Arizal, the name of Rav Chaim Vital. And we started speaking about the two souls in the end of chapter one. We said there's an animal soul. We didn't call it that yet, but there's a vitalizing force, um, this instinct for self-preservation, and it has various different midos, different uh, emotional attributes. Some of them are negative, and some of them are, uh, for all intents and purposes, are, are good, uh, because it's from Klippas Neuge, it's not Shalosh Klippas Tameus. And then, uh, chapter 2, we said there's this other persona called the Nefesh Hashenis, the second soul, which is a chilek elekami mal, mamish, literally a part of God above, even in a body. And uh, that's called the Nefesh Elekis, the godly soul. And its instinct and drive is for oneness with Hashem. And that is our true, truest self. And then in chapter 3, we said, let's get into the anatomy of this godly soul. We said that the godly soul is comprised of ten capacities which mirror or uh, reflect the ten spheroes, Hashem's ten emanations. And they, uh, these koiches and nefesh, as we refer to them, soul powers, correspond to the, to the eser spheroes, lamayla, the ten uh, spheroes, the ten emanations. They have the same names, the same relationships between them. And uh, just to review, we said there are three uh, cognitive capacities known as Chochmah, Bina, and Das. Chochmah is the father, Bina is the mother, and Das is the connection between Chochmah, Bina, which allows them to give birth to emotions. And then you have the seven emotions, Chesed, Gvura, and Tiferes, and their derivatives. Remember we said that really... One, seven doubles, good job, from Sefer Yitzira. So we have the Chesed, Gvura, and Tiferes. Once you have the Chesed is the right, Gvura is the left, Tiferes is the middle, and then everything else, whether it's Netzach, Hoid, Yesoid, Malchus, Yesoid, all fits in as derivatives of those somewhere plotted along those three axes. And that's what we're up to. Okay, so here's the thing. And again, we're in the informational chapters of Tanya, so there's not a lot of practical instruction that is going to come up here. Although, everything we're going to learn becomes incredibly important later on for practical implementation. And that is, at this juncture, where we know the inner workings of the godly soul, we're now going to be introduced to the outer workings of the godly soul. In other words, how does the godly soul express itself? There's the self being expressed, and then there's the expression of that self. So the self of the godly soul, its inner workings, we just learned about in chapter 3. Its inner workings, the ten faculties, the two 
categories of faculties, cognitive and emotional. So the inner workings of the godly soul are sort of its, its, its perspectives and its feelings, right? We'll call its cognitive faculties its perspectives, its way of looking at things. And we'll call its midais its feelings, the way it feels about what it thinks it's perceived. So what is the soul? The soul is, and we can, we can be comfortable with this definition, this working definition, the soul is a, a set of perceptions and feelings about its perceptions. That's what it is. Now, the question is, how do you define what the soul does? That's what the soul is. What about what the soul does? Yeah, I'll repeat it, sure. What is the soul? So one definition that will work for us here is it's a set of perceptions and feelings. Namely, three perspectives of perception called Chochma, Bina, and Das. And then seven uh, different styles of emotionally reacting to those perceptions called Chesed, Vurat, Tiferes, Netzach, Malchus. And that's what the soul is. But that's not what the soul does. Like I was saying, there's self and there's self-expression. So here's how the soul looks at things. Here's how it sees things. Here's how it feels about things. But none of that tells me what it's going to do about any of that. So comes chapter 4 and introduces us to a very important concept called levushe hanefesh. Levusha mean, mean, means clothing, garments. A levusha is a garment, levushim, plural, garments. And it, it introduces us to the concept of levushim, of garments, telling us what the soul does with its perceptions and its feelings. Now, we're not going to talk about this yet, but I just want to, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm teaching with the spoilers, because I feel like, my experience has taught me that to try to keep you in suspense and not tell you how this stuff gets used later actually works against me. And I've told you this before, that most Tanya classes fall apart in the initial chapters because people are like, well, what are we going to do with this information? So I'm just going to tell you already, it doesn't say this any of this here yet, but later on, one of the most important concepts in Tanya is going to be distinguishing between your insides and your outsides. Meaning, okay, you had a feeling. But what are you going to do with that feeling? I did a, an interview, a podcast, with a, the professor of, I think, the most popular class at Harvard ever, the, the class in happiness from Tal ben Shachar, who wrote the books on happiness, a very famous uh, expert in happiness who studied it from a psychological and neurological perspective. And uh, one of the things we discussed, that he, he said the cutting edge understanding of happiness today is that you have to accept the fact you're going to feel all types of things, but your power is in choosing how you're going to express those feelings. So I told him, yeah, that's basically Tanya. Tanya is, you're going to feel all types of things, because we haven't mentioned it yet, but just like you have emotions coming from your nefesh alakis, also you have emotions coming from your nefesh abamis. Emotions are emotions. Then the question is, what, what, what kind of expression are you going to give to those emotions? And that's where your power is. So we're not going to talk about any of that today. I'm just letting you know so you understand why this stuff is so important. All right? So let, let's, let's jump in. The oid, and furthermore, meaning 
Why is he starting the chapter with furthermore? On top of what we learned in chapter 3, that the soul is comprised of these cognitive and emotional faculties. So on top of that, furthermore, every godly soul has three garments. So now we're talking about the garments. Think about it like this. Chapter 3 is the insides and chapter 4 is the outsides. The insides and the outsides. Or you could call it self and self-expression. Or you can call it who I am and what I do. Right? Insights, outside, self, self-expression, who I am, what I do. Shaheim, and what are these three garments or modes of expression? They are, namely, machshava, dibura thought, speech, and action. Any thought, speech, and action? No, not any thought, speech, and action, because after all, what's the context here? We're speaking about which soul? So when we say, what are the modes of expression of the godly soul, thought, speech, and action of godly things? So he says, thought, speech, and action shall tayag mitzvahs hatoira. Thought, speech, and action which are mitzvahs, one of the 613 mitzvahs. The godly soul only expresses itself through mitzvahs, because that's all the godly soul is concerned with. Adam, he describes it now. When a person performs all of the practical, physical action mitzvahs, and with his speech, he, with his speech, learns, studies orally the laws of all the different mitzvahs. And with his thought, with his thought, he understands as much as he can from the different levels of Torah interpretation. So we've, we've described action, speech, thought. With his action, he's doing all the Torah doings. And with his speech, he's speaking all the Torah speakings. And with his thought, he's thinking all the Torah thinkings. So when he's doing that, and you notice I mentioned, I, I use the word doing for all of it, even the speaking and the thinking, which is important because in Tanya, speech and thought are behaviors just like action. Very important to know how to categorize speech and thought. Speech and thought are behaviors just like action. Why is it important for later on? Because I have to know where my free will kicks in. I don't have free will over what I feel, but I have free will, not, at least not directly, but I have free will over what I, how I behave. So what's a behavior? How do you define a behavior? So we define a behavior as any of the three garments, thought, speech, and action. So when you're doing all the Torah doings and all the Torah speakings and all the Torah thinkings, so then all of his 613 limbs of his soul are invested in all the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah. The structure of the soul, in addition to being comprised of 10 soul faculties that we spoke about, is also comprised of... 613 limbs, so to speak. And in fact, it makes perfect sense. You know, is a glove five fingers because a hand has five fingers, or is, does the, f the hand have five fingers because the glove has five fingers? What about 
What about mittens? Oh, get out of here. You're causing trouble. <laughs> Not with the mittens. I knew you'd find a way to cause trouble. Mittens. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So, is you, <laughs> you think about the way that a person is designed. A person is designed for functionality. So, the soul is... And I don't mean this in a scary sci-fi type of way, but is the perfect machine for executing mitzvahs. Um, and therefore, when we are doing all of the mitzvahs in thought, speech, and action, we are exercising, making use of all the different parts of our soul. Because one was designed for the other. Okay, so now we've established there are three garments, thought, speech, and action, which lend expression to the soul. Ubeprotius. Now, more specifically, more specific, what does more specifically mean? More specifically, we're going to get into which garments are lent expression to in which ways? Bechinas, or rather, which soul faculties, I'm sorry, which koiches hanefesh are given expression in which ways? Bechinas, chokhmah binadas shebenafshei, so his cognitive faculties that we learned about last week in chapter 3, how do they get expressed? Mlubashes basagas hatayra shehu masig bepshatrem is drushayit kefiyah chelas asagasay v'sherish nafshe lamayla. When he's understanding as much as he can understand of the Torah, according to his intellectual abilities and according to his spiritual capacity, then he is giving expression to the chabad, the chokhmah binadas, the cognitive koychos. How? By understanding, by thinking about Torah concepts. And then the seven emotional faculties, how do they get expressed? Which are, like we said, awe and love and their various, their various offshoots. Those get expressed through action and through speech. What does speech mean? Speech means a study of Torah, which we, where you're speaking, not just that you're thinking it, you're speaking it. Yeah? This is applicable to the positive and negative 613 in Taryag Mitzvah? Uh, yes, yes, he's saying Taryag. I mean, obviously, so 613 is including the 365 prohibitions. It works a little bit differently there because then it's passive, it's non action. Right. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, we're talking about the whole Torah. Yeah. <laughs> what we just said? We said that as far as how do you plug in the Koiches Hanefesh from the last chapter to the Levushe Hanefesh from this chapter. So he says, namely, the Chabad, the cognitive faculties, the three cognitive faculties from chapter three. Those are expressed through the, the garment called thought, when you understand a concept in Torah. 
And then the emotional faculties that we learned about last week in chapter 3, which are seven emotional faculties, those get expressed either through speech or through action. Speech means Torah study, actually speaking the words. And action is, you know, get up and go give tzedakah. Okay. And he explains a little bit more why, oh, thank you, why the emotions are specifically expressed through behaviors. Through, well, they're all behaviors, I said, <laughs> through, through, through speech and action. In other words, I, uh, he doesn't explain it because it doesn't even need to be explained why Chabad are expressed through Hasagas uh, HaTayra. I understand why my intellectual faculties would only be channeled through understanding. That I get. But why are you saying that the emotional faculties are specifically channeled through speech and action? So that he explains a little bit here. He says, um, yeah, Kihoava, oh, this is where we are. Is that where we are? Yeah. Because love is the source of all positive, all 248 positive commandments. From love is where the 248 mitzvahs, or the performance of them, are drawn forth. And without it, there would be no true lasting survival of these actions. You run out of steam, you run out of motivation. And he explains, Ki ba'emes, anyone who truly does the mitzvahs, who ha'oyev Hashem Hashem is the one who loves Hashem, v'chofetz l'davka ba'emes and truly desires to cleave to Hashem. V'yiyav she'l l'davka ba'emes and there's no true way to cleave to Hashem, ki'im b'kiyem ramach b'kudin, except through the 248 positive commandments, she'hein which are ramach Evrin de Malka, which are also in Zayar called the 248 limbs of the king. It's explained elsewhere. So, in order to do the mitzvahs, you have to have sufficient motivation. What's the motivation for doing? Love. Love. Love is get up and do something for the beloved. Conversely, Vahayira, or is the opposite direction. Love is get up and go do something, get closer. Yira is the opposite drive, the opposite emotional uh, energy. It serves as the source of performing all the 365 prohibitive commandments. Why? How so? Because if you have awe of Hashem, you are afraid of rebelling against him. Mm-hmm. Or even on a deeper level of yira, of awe. You are ashamed before his greatness. You wouldn't want to do anything unseemly in his eyes. Anything that's hateful to him. Which is what? What's hateful to Hashem? Well, that which we refer to as klippa, the husk, or sitra achra, the other side. 
How does negativity get its life? Negativity, by definition, in Kabbalah and Chassidus, has no life. It's vampiristic. So where does it get life from? From you. It tricks you into nurturing it by doing stuff you ought not do. So the negativity gets its, derives its sustenance from you, from the Odom Atachtain, from the person down here. How does the klipa get a, a Jew to feed it? By engaging in one of the 365 prohibitions. Well, I wouldn't want to do that in front of Hashem. I wouldn't want to feed Hashem's enemies. That would be unseemly. So, uh, what he's describing here is a deeper awe where not only um, do I not want to be marked as a rebel, right? That was the first le- level. But I don't want to do anything that is unseemly. Something that's like, why would you support that which is opposed to Hashem? Why would you... Why would you aid? Why would you be caught aiding and abetting the other side, giving moral support to the enemy? So, the sense of impropriety, let's call it that. Like, why would I do that? Why would I support my father's enemies? That would prevent me from engaging in the 365 prohibitions. So that, that's how he explains that the emotions, the midos, the seven midos from chapter three. How they get channeled is through speech and, and action, because in order to do all the Torah speech and action you're supposed to do, and refrain from all the Torah speech and action, or non-Torah speech and action that you're not supposed to do, for that, you need to be sufficiently emotionally motivated. And more specifically, what he says is, the motivation for the doing is from the love, and the motivation for the not doing or for the refraining is from the awe. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. No. no? What, what, what so do you want me to clarify? Somebody- If somebody does an Aveda, like they eat before Havdalah. Okay. <laughs> I don't like to give people ideas of Avedas. So I pick one that I think most people already are unfortunately cavalier about. So that behavior is not a reflection of awe of Hashem. So if somebody's wife says, could you please stop humming that song? And he keeps humming. Does he hate his wife? No. But that... Does he love her? Maybe he does. I don't know enough information. I, could, I can't conclude whether he hates her, and I can't conclude whether he loves her. But I can tell you that that particular act was not an expression of sufficient respect for his wife. Respect is a more pedestrian way of describing awe. Awe is more intense. Respect is a little bit more accessible version of the same thing, but it's the same thing. It's self-containment. Love is expansiveness. I go out of my way for you. Awe is self-containment. So another way we could describe that is through respect. 
So his wife says, stop humming that tune, and he keeps humming it. I can't tell you he, he hates his wife, but I can tell you that particular behavior was not an expression of respect for his wife. So I'm going to ask you, don't do this very, very from thing where we label people because they did an Aveda. And I'm, I think it's a function of our culture. Can I say this? I, I want to say this. I think there's a function of our culture that we are comfortable, and I understand the survival impulse to, to label people as safe and as unsafe, but we say a person did an Aveda, therefore I'm going to label them as something because I'm just more comfortable um, knowing how to regard them. You know, whose team are you on? Us and them. Like the way political discourse is today, nobody discussed an issue, genuinely discussed an issue, in, in, in 20 years, in 30 years, it hasn't happened. There's nobody who's dis sincerely discussed a political issue in 30 years. Since, since Facebook, for sure, they haven't. What do you do? What's every political discussion today? You try to figure out, using buzzwords, what side a person's on, and that's easy. Now I can label whether I hate you or I love you, and that's it. Or the politician. Tell me which team he's on, and then that's it. And then, then we support everything they do or we hate everything they do. So we're going to not think black and white. We're not going to say... A person did an Aveda, does he hate Hashem? How would I even, how would I even, I don't even have enough information to draw a conclusion. All we're saying is, the action itself, the action itself, this snapshot, this moment, if he's doing something that Hashem doesn't like, then I can tell you one thing, that behavior wasn't an expression of respect for Hashem. And conversely, I think this is equally important, what he's saying is if someone does something that Hashem does like, they do a positive mitzvah, then you should know that behavior didn't materialize out of nowhere, it was the expression of an emotion. This is what he's saying here. What emotion, if somebody does something Hashem likes, what emotion gave rise to that behavior? Love. love. That was an act of love. And that's what he's saying here, to understand the inner workings of the soul, the cognitive and the emotional. Okay, the cognitive, I get, that plugs into hasagas ha understanding Torah. And then the emotional aspects, which are basically love and awe and their offshoots. The love gets expressed as doing things for Hashem. That's what we call the 248 positives. And the awe gets expressed as refraining from stuff because of Hashem, which we call the 365 prohibit the pro prohibitions that's all we're saying but to draw any conclusions about the person I, I don't know about the person I can tell you about that act I can tell you about that act and that's what he's saying here that's all he's saying okay so let's continue here um, Ah, okay. All right, so we have a little bit of time here. We can address this issue. Now here's a question. How would you categorize these, uh, these garments in relationship with the soul that wears these garments. 
In other words, you know, if I could save a person or save their clothing, if I if I'm if I'm uh, if I rush into a burning building to save somebody and they yell at me and say, "You ripped my clothes," well, I saved your life. Obviously, the person is more important than the clothing. So here's the funny thing. We refer to the soul's expression as clothing, which kind of implies that the clothing are of a secondary or uh, what we call it. There's Iker and Tuffel, uh, the main thing and the... Uh, I guess secondary is the word. Subordinate. I don't know. I'm just saying fancy words because I can't think of the word I want. You might think that the soul's clothing are less important than the soul itself that wears these clothes. Because that's, that's the metaphor of clothing. That's what it implies, at least at, at first glance. So now he establishes, he wants you to know that actually these clothing are, are in a way greater than the soul itself that wears them. Let, let's, let's look at the words. These three garments, and he reestablishes, we're talking about Torah and mitzvahs. This is a very important point because remember, we're talking about the garments of the godly soul. And the garments of the godly soul are only Torah, thought, speech, and action. In other words, mitzvahs. Mitzvahs. So the garments of the godly soul are all mitzvahs. Since they're all mitzvahs, although we use the term clothing, which implies in some way, that it's secondary to the soul itself. In calls that, nevertheless, They are infinitely greater than the soul itself. Like it says in the Zayar, that Hashem, or that Torah and Hashem are entirely one. Torah and Hashem are entirely one. Torah is not Hashem's book. Torah is Hashem presenting Himself through the medium of a book. Pirush, what does this mean? Explains. Torah is Hashem's own chachma and rotzein. And Hashem is one with his Chochmah and his Ratzin, like we explained in chapter 2. Because he is the knower and the knowledge. Like we explained in the name of the Rambam in chapter 2. So don't think that these garments are of a lower category or lower order than the soul to the contrary they're actually infinitely greater than the soul hence they have the power to lift up 
the soul. That's the point we're making. That when a soul engages in Torah and mitzvahs, because the Torah and mitzvahs are coming from a higher place, it lifts the soul to a higher level than it would be on its own. Make sense? So it's not just like uh, clothing. It's nice to have a nice suit of clothes. <laughs> what? What? Is that a good joke? You left me out of I it? I just like the name LaRue Kanefesh for a good modest clothing store. Oh! <laughs> Don't say that online. Someone will steal it from you. <laughs> That's a good idea. That's very good. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm, I don't want someone will steal it. I'm not going to say a word. It's very good. Yeah, that is very clever. I'm surprised nobody did that. I'm surprised too. Okay. Next week, Central Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even be surprised. That's very good. Okay. <laughs> oh, they changed the whole name of the street. That'd be amazing. Okay, we could dream. Okay, let's keep it up. Let's keep learning and we'll. Okay, all right. Now, here's another question that sort of arises in this context. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's what, what was your thing? Tain Hashem. Yeah, that was your, your Kiddush. Yeah. Now, there's another question that comes up here, which is, how are you equating... So, one explanation leads to a new question. The, the answer to one question leads to a new question. So, we explained that the clothing are not of a secondary level. They're actually higher than the soul itself, and that's why they have the power to pick up the soul. Um, but now, we, in the course of that explanation, we... A new, we, we beg a new question, which is, you just said that Torah is synonymous with Hashem, that Torah and Hashem are entirely one. I don't understand, because Hashem is infinite. How can you equate Hashem with anything? So he explains it. The after Kodesh Baruch Hu Nikra Eintzof, V'lugdu Losein Cheker, and although Hashem is called infinite, and there is no probing His greatness, and no thought can grasp Him at all, and also His will and His wisdom, the same thing goes, because maybe you would say, well, you can't grasp His essence, but you could grasp His wisdom and His will. And we say, no, you can't even grasp His wisdom and His will. Just like He is infinite, His wisdom and will are infinite, which means they cannot be contained by any finite intellect. Like it says, There is no probing the depth of His understanding. And it says, One who probes Hashem, investigates, will He find, will He get to the bottom of it? No, he won't. Rhetorical question. And it says, Hashem says, My thoughts are not like your thoughts. They're categorically different. Okay, so then how do you explain that we equate Hashem with his Torah and vice versa? So in regards to this, it has been said, 
In the very place where you find Hashem's greatness, Shom there too, you find His humility. What does it mean, Hashem's humility? It means, that Hashem compressed, the word here is Timtim, He compressed the infinity of His will and wisdom into the mitzvahs of Torah and their halachas. As well as in the letters of the Bible and the Tanakh, as well as in the ways that our sages expound the writings of Tanakh. So Hashem compressed Himself into something that could be learned and understood by a mortal intellect. So that every soul in a body could understand them, these words of Torah, with their intellect. And not just understand, but perform, fulfill, in action, everything that is possible to do through thought, speech, and action. Or he actually says, through action, speech, and thought. And through this, the ten aspects of the soul are invested in the three garments of the soul. So Hashem, the infinite, compressed Himself into a form that we could approach. And that form is called Torah. That form is called Torah. Torah is speaking ultimately about the unknowable. Every concept in Torah ultimately is speaking about an infinite truth that being infinite is not able to be contained within a finite mind, not even that of an angel. But Hashem presents a translation of the infinite into the language of the finite, and you learn a halacha and shochan aruch, and what you're really doing is learning translated infinity in a language of finitude, where you can wrap your mind around it, and therefore you can relate directly to infinity. Now this leads us to another very interesting point. Velochen, therefore, I think we're going to finish chapter 4. I wasn't sure if we would, but I think we will. Velochen, therefore, Nimshlah HaTorah Lamayim Torah is compared to water. Torah is compared to many things. One of the things Torah is compared to is water. Why is it compared to water? Well, what's one property of water that bears being compared to water, being compared to Torah? Just like water flows from a high place to a low place. Everyone knows how water works, right? Water... Every toddler has experimented with water, right? You 
take them to the restaurant and you say, why is the whole table soaking wet? Because they wanted to see how it works. Because, uh, you know, the salt, you can pile it up in little piles and uh, the sugar, but then the water is so interesting, it just flows off of the table. Why does it do that? Because, look, everything falls, there's gravity. But water is funny that it always spreads out and low. It, you can't pile up water. You can't pile it up. So water's property of going down, not just falling like, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, bricks. Bricks also fall, but you can stack them up and make a wall out of them. You can't do that with water unless you freeze the water and then you make ice like an igloo. Yeah, I, I said that because I know some, some smart aleck was going to say it if I didn't say it. Okay, but at any rate, so water flows down. So why, why do we compare Torah to water? Kach, so too. Torah came down from this glorious place, Shehi, which is Ritzayin V'chachmasa Yisbarach Hashem's own will and wisdom. And as we said, Torah and Hashem are one. And nothing, no thought can grasp Hashem, meaning in its source, no thought can grasp Torah. And from that place, it came down, 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 level after level, one level to the next, through the orderly chain-like progression of world building, until the Torah invested itself in matters of this world. You open up a Gemara, you open up a Shulchan Aruch, and it's speaking about regular mundane things. So you think that it's talking about an ox and a cow. But really, Rabbi Steinsalt said, that anyone who learns the Gemara and he thinks that it's talking about an ox, he's the ox. The ox is just, uh, it's just a metaphor. I mean, it's also talking about a real ox, but there's a deeper principle that the ox is the, 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 the code word for describing. And there are levels and layers of these deeper principles. So on one layer, it's talking about a legal principle. It's talking about jurisprudence. On an even deeper level, it's talking about a spiritual principle. It's talking about the inner workings of the soul. And that's with everything in Torah. The language is an accessible language. It's talking about stuff of this world. Particularly, you know, uh, practical halacha is talking about stuff that you see every day, and yet it's a it's a code, <laughs> it's a it, it's a translation of infinite spiritual truths being conveyed in terms that a mortal mind can appreciate. So that's why we compare Torah to water. Like water, you know, no matter how high it is, it always goes as low as it possibly can. It'll always find the lowest, the lowest elevation. So the Torah comes down. Which the Torah is made up primarily, almost entirely, of physical stuff. I mean, Torah is talking about how to do physical actions. Or, conversely, um, 
Torah comes down as stories, but those stories are written as actual ink on actual parchment. The 24 books of Tanakh. And why does Torah come down into this form, this accessible form? So that that which normally no thought can grasp, now our thought can grasp. And in fact, not only can our thought, see if you think about the three Levushaya Nefesh, obviously they're, they're different from each other, that's why they're categories, they're categorically different from each other. So if we were to think about which one is more rarefied, abstract, ethereal, obviously thought. Is that obvious? That thought is the most spiritual of the Levushim. And then Dibor is a little more concrete, and action is obviously the most concrete. That, that makes sense, right? That doesn't require a lot of explanation. So the fact that we say even one of the Levushim can grasp Hashem in this, um, in, in, in this condensed form, that's already a marvelous idea. But we're saying, now, no, not just one of the, the Levushim, the most rarefied Levush, but even the lower, quote-unquote, the lower Levushim of, of speech and even uh, of action, which is the coarsest, lowest, most concrete, even that can grasp the infinite. How? How does, how does action act as a, as, a, as, a, as a vehicle for the infinite? Action is the lowest thing. It's the most concrete. It's the most limited. You can only do one thing at a time. You can't do two things at a time. You can, you, 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 you thought you can, you can project yourself all over the world. You can think two things that are impossible to, to really see in real life and put them together. Thought is, is uncontained. But, but action is very limiting. Action is, is the most limited, is the, most, uh, is the lowest level. How can action contain infinity? So how, how does our action convey infinity? Yeah? Hmm? Any mitzvah. Any mitzvah. Yeah, but any mitzvah, because uh, any mitzvah that you do, you are taking you're taking Hashem's will and wisdom and manifesting it as a physical action. So it could be an act of chesed, it could be um, putting on tefillin. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, mitzvah midrabanan, like lighting Shabbos candles or lighting uh, the menorah. The point is that Hashem lends Himself and His infinity to be expressed in finite form through the performance of the mitzvahs. So you, you appreciate that the mitzvahs are an incredible opportunity to attain something that really is quite paradoxical, that the infinite could be Manifest within the finite. Okay, so he says, um, "Where are we up to?" Right? Yeah. And even, even speech and thought, which are lower, which are lower than thought, even. Speech and action can act as vehicles for Torah, for infinity. And then when the person is actively doing Torah and mitzvahs, what happens? 
what happens is that Torah and mitzvahs are malbish, are clothing or surrounding all of his ten soul faculties and all of his 613 spiritual limbs from head to toe, both figuratively and literally. So what, imagine that. The person is doing Torah and mitzvahs and he's being enveloped. He's being surrounded from head to toe by infinity. He is literally being bound up in the bound, in the binds of, in the bounds, the binds, the binding of, of life. And the light of Hashem is literally encompassing him from head to toe. Like it says, I will take refuge in Hashem, in my rock. Meaning, like, literally, I'm going to get inside. <laughs> I'm getting inside. He'll, um, he'll crown you like a helmet of favor. Like a helmet. Think about, you, you, again, the idea of you're going into Hashem. You're wearing Hashem. You're taking shelter in Hashem. Which are, what, what, what are we talking about? Hashem's Will and wisdom, which are invested in this Torah mitzvah. So when you're doing Torah mitzvahs, you are getting inside of, being enveloped, encompassed by Hashem's will and wisdom. That's the relationship. Okay, so anyways, to sum up, chapter 4, we were introduced to three garments of the soul. Thought, speech, and action, whereby the soul is able to give expression to its inner perceptions and feelings. But do not think that because they're only expressions, they're only outgrowths, that they are secondary. No, to the contrary. What are we talking about when we're talking about how the soul expresses itself? We're talking about Torah and mitzvahs, which are infinity, because Hashem compressed His infinity within Torah and mitzvahs. So what's happening is, when the soul is expressing itself, when it's allowing its perceptions and emotions to come out as behaviors, and we said behaviors can mean thought, speech, or action, when the soul's allowing its, its perceptions and emotions to come out as behaviors, the soul's actually being lifted up and bound up with infinity. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Okay, we did it. Okay. And with the light of Hashem on Zoe's Yeah. It's a good day for it. But you didn't finish chapter four. Yeah, that was chapter four. Is there a little more? Yeah. Oh, I thought we finished it. We didn't finish Okay, so we'll start. Okay, fine. So we'll start next week from whatever we didn't finish.